The following programming is sponsored by Six Feet Over Under Productions. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM, 97.5 HD2, to start another year. Part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Look at you improvising. I know, and I almost messed it up, too. Like, I got kind of caught up. You came so close. I know, and you would have jumped on me. Like, you pointed it out anyway uh well <laughs> welcome back jeff have i'm you, impressed have you recovered i don't know about anybody else but i'm impressed have you recovered? you improvised and i don't even think you thought about it beforehand no i didn't you i just, just started reading yeah. i was so excited to be You're back riffing. on the air yeah i was so excited to be back by on the, the way air. are you intentionally as you're holding your hand to your face you're kind of one finger's going up is that because <laughs> it just i'm just so used to hosting with you that it happens anyway <laughs> why don't we leave the jokes there we're going to start the year, Jeff. Uh, I, I don't know if he wants to hear it because he's probably enjoying his offseason, but uh, MLB umpire Chris Conroy, hate to tell you there's 39 days till pitchers and catchers report somehow. Uh, how you doing, sir? <laughs> Music to my ears. What do you mean? <laughs> I, I didn't know if you were, like, enjoying the time off or... It's my wife's ears, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, go, go back on the road. She's you, saying yeah, you're please, out. I'm, I'm done with you. Get back on the road. Yeah, for goodness you, sake. <laughs> I woke up this morning and somebody had posted something about that. And I'm like, wow, it's that fast. It's coming up. So what's, what's this time like for you? You get a little break after working the postseason. What, what's this like for you? Uh, definitely a little bit of a break. Uh, and now as we sort of, you know, roll into the new year, the, you know, kind of in my mind, mentally anyway, the breaks, the breaks over and now really start gearing towards the upcoming season. Um, you know, you get home, uh, I've been fortunate enough the last couple of years, you know, work the postseason and work, you know, into, you know, into October pretty deep and, you know, you kind of get home, take a breath. And then all of a sudden like wham, it's Thanksgiving and, then you you blink again and wham it's like Christmas and New Year's and you're like all right holy cow like it's New Year's and there there went my off season because now you just you know like I said when that the calendar turns and you get into the new year you just start thinking ahead you know there's there's an annual staff retreat that occurs for us in in late January uh, where they bring us all together out in Arizona uh, you know sort of you know do a post mortem on the previous year talk about what's coming up for the new year do physicals. Um, and then, you know, not long after that, it's, uh, you know, like you said, pitchers and catchers report, and then, you know, pretty soon we're off and running with the games and, and then here we go again. So, um, it goes, it seems to, it's always nice to, to come home at the end of the year and, you know, put the, put the suitcase away and put the trunk away. And, but it seems like the, the off seasons, you know, they go by quicker and quicker too, every year, every year as well. <laughs> well, well, you're now, you're now a postseason veteran. You've done three wild cards by my count, two division series. This was your third LCS. And then two years ago, you did the world series. Correct. What, yep. Now that you've done the world series two years ago, are you spoiled? Did you, after you got through the ALCS this year, did you just want to go back and do the world series or were you, or, or do you get to the point of just saying, you know what, I'm done. I'm good for this. Uh, yeah. It's a little bit of a yes and no there. I mean, I, I would, if, if for some strange reason they call and said, Hey, we want to put you back in, I would never say no. But um, it, 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 in a way you're like, it, there was a little bit of pressure off knowing, okay, I worked it last year. You don't work it in consecutive years. And you know, when I'm done here in the ALCS, I know I'm done and I'm going to go home and, and, and take a little bit of a break. So it was, I mean, it was an amazing experience to work at the, you know, culmination of a lifelong dream. Um, but by the same token this year, it was, you know, knowing that when, you know, when that, 
ALCS ended, it was it was over and, and could get going and head home and start the offseason. That was a good feeling, too. You know, it's funny. Jason and I kind of follow the umpires now over the last couple of years, having talked to so many of you guys and the things that you do. And and when, when it came out that you were doing the ALCS this year, I saw that you were scheduled for Game 7 to be behind home plate. So yeah. <laughs> is is that something that you look forward to, or is it something that when, when the series ends, you go, oh, thank goodness, I didn't have to do that. <laughs> A little bit of both again. <laughs> you know, again, when they, you know, they call and, and, uh, and give you the assignment and, um, and then, in the, you know, I have that conversation with, with Mike Hill, who is in charge of baseball ops and, and says, we're going to, you know, we're going to, start your game one on the right field line. And, and, and if it goes that far, we're going to line you up for the playing game seven. And I was like, you know, you're, I mean, it's a, it's an incredible honor. I mean, that's, um, you know, that's a, that's a huge responsibility and a, and a huge assignment, but you know, then, you know, what, you know, you get, you get off the phone and then you start thinking like, you know, it's sort of one of those, like, it's a, it's an unbelievable blessing and an honor. And then you're like, man, if it gets that far, that's going to be, Whew, you know, that's going to be three to four hours of my life. It's uh, uh, going to be fairly stressful to say the least. But um, again, I was, I would have, I, I would have welcomed the opportunity. Um, I wasn't uh, distraught that it, it didn't come to pass. You, you weren't on the crew in Philly. You were on the crew in Houston. Did, do the ums talk about what the atmosphere was like here in Philadelphia? We heard players talk about it, media talk yep. about it. What was the, yep. the talk among the umpires about what it was like to be here in Philadelphia for the series? Oh, I, I did have a, I did have some communication with a few guys and they just said it was wild. Um, it was just, you know, whatever it, it appeared to be on, on TV, just, you know, multiply it by a thousand. And it just, it looked crazy. Cause I, I mean, I, I enjoy watching playoff baseball, even, you know, the ones, the series I'm not involved in and obviously living in the area, um, uh, my wife's family, obviously, they're all from around here, so they're all you know fans of the Phillies. And uh, was actually through the through the help of uh, you know the guys working the the series, both the divisional and the in the LCS. They they sent some tickets our way, and, and I was able to to get my family down there and go. And so my my wife and her siblings were at Game Three of the divisional series, and then they were at Game. Actually, they were at the clinching Game Five of the LCS, um, and they just it was. It was just a you know a magical run. It was it, the, the the ballpark was was rocking and it was just a great environment. Um, you know my 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 one daughter, one of my daughters. I mean they both came to the series with me, but you know and, and that those environments are phenomenal too. But you know this was just she was like she's totally hooked now. Like on the <laughs> on the on, on the whole thing, she's like you know the whole you know the game five, the Harper home run. The, it just was it was just it was just a, a great run for them. I, I was happy to, to see them so happy. And um, it was, it definitely, the area was lit up. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, you talk about the, your family gets to come see you. There's something that goes on in New York Islanders games. I don't know if you've ever seen it where there's a section that actually dresses up like the refs and cheers for the refs during the game. I have not. Yeah. No. <laughs> so, so, so the, my question is: Is for the umpires? Do you, does your family, do your families, all sit together, and do you have like a cheering section? <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do all have. We have a kind of a section at the at the ballpark where our our tickets are during the regular season. It's a little different in the postseason, obviously, just because of the, the the number of people that are are, are there. Um, 
but yeah, we have a, a, a section and it's funny, like we'll get out there, we'll get the home plate. And, um, you know, again, when I, if, you know, the, you know, the time or two during the season, if I get to work at the bank, um, you know, we'll be out of home plate doing the pregame meeting and then the, the announcement will come on, you know, the tonight's umpires and, you know, it'll whatever, whatever. And behind the plate, Chris Conroy and off, you know, off to my left, will be like, this, hey, you know, I'll get this little, you know, cheer from my, my wife, my kids, some aunts, uncles, whatever. Um, <laughs> but I'm always like, you know, careful about that too. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> that can come both ways. Yeah, don't, don't let them know where you're sitting. Just that's yeah, exactly we'll, we'll see right. how the game goes. You know, I did, I did want to ask you, I, I think I saw you, you got to have a game at Fenway this past year what one that experience was like. But then I think I saw right afterwards, you ended up with uh, some time as a replay official. And I was wondering how that's different, you know, doing the replay off the field in New York versus being on the field as an umpire. It's a, you know, the first, you know, and most obvious difference is it's a nice, it's a nice break for your body. Number one, just to kind of get, get off the field for a week. Um, You know, it's, it's extra nice for me you know, given where I live that I actually, I'm actually home for the replay weeks and I'll just, I'll drive back and forth to the city. Um, just so it, it, it just steals more time at home for me during the season. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a nice break to just, you know, get off your feet, get off the, you know, the sort of the grind of the road and the, and the travel, um, and just kind of, you know, not, I don't want to say unplug cause you're there to do a job, but, um, your body can rest and you're just not feeling quite the, um, you know, the, the, the day isn't, you know, when you're on the field, everything about your day is geared towards, okay, 530 is about the time we're leaving and to be at your best when, you know, uh, 705 rolls around and first pitch comes down the chute. Um, you know, replay is just a, a little different. You walk in the room and it's just, I'm going to, I'm going to sit here at my station and if something comes my way, I'll handle it. But, um, you know, obviously you're not in the sort of the pressure pack crowds or, you know, feeling any of those sort of extra pressures that come with, you know, being on the field. So um, part of the job, obviously, that you're there to focus and, and do well, but it is a, it's a nice little kind of respite from, um, you know, the grind of the season, give your body a little break. When you have a chance to do that replay official role, does it change your perspective on, on what you're doing when you are on the field? And, is, and second is, is it hard to do, to do it, to overturn your colleagues? Um. It's not really hard. I wouldn't say, I, I mean, there's, it, you just, some plays you just feel badly doing it just because, you know, some plays are just so close and the technology is so good that you're like, there's almost no way a human being can, can possibly get that play right. And if they do, it's like, they almost just, just were fortunate. Um, so it, it just, it, it, it reinforces to me how difficult the job is and, that obviously despite, you know, the criticism you take, it just comes with the natural course of the job that, you know, our guys are very, very good at what they do out there. And I, I oftentimes I sit in that room and I'm just like, you know, I'll, I'll be watching my game live and see a play and I'll be like, Oh no. And, you know, everybody kind of snaps to attention and we start scrolling it back and looking at it. And I'm like, well, I mean, sure enough, they're, they're right. And then eventually there's no, you know, there's no replay. The game moves on. I'm like, my God, how did he get that play? Right. And it, it, it just gives me a, uh, an appreciation for, um, you know, how hard the, how hard the job is and, and, and how well our guys do it. You know, you talk about how hard the job is, it's, you know, this year you're going to have to deal with some rules changes. Jeff is very excited about them. <laughs> getting rid of the shift has been something that he has been advocating 
for as long as we've been doing a radio show together. So he is, you know, popping bottles at this point. That Were you they're a getting rid of it. back in the day? Is that uh, what the deal? <laughs> <laughs> he just, I don't know. He, he, it's, it's, it's personal with him. I don't get it. But uh, when, when I had a lawn, I was the get off my lawn kind of guy. <laughs> what, what's it mean for you guys in terms of some of these rules changes? And I mean, obviously, teams are going to have to try and figure this out differently, keeping yep. them on one side of the bag or the other. What yep. what do you guys have to do in, in playing that role as they learn these these new changes? Um, you know, that's that's all part of what's coming down the pike here for us in the next few weeks when we gather as a as a staff. Um, I just received an email yesterday with some advanced material on the you know the 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 shift and the pitch clock and things like that. And so I'll start diving into that. And then when we come together in a few weeks, um, we'll get some some clearer direction from the office on on how this is all going to go down, how they want us to implement it. But it's, it's certainly a lot. I mean, every year there are, you know, some little tweaks here and there to, to some rules, some that are, you know, for the most part, probably not very recognizable to people as they, you know, go about watching the game day in and day out over the course of the summer. But, you know, these are, you know, the, the clock and, and the no shift, um, larger bases, et cetera. You know, these are, these are going to be real, tangible, in-your-face changes that people are going to notice right away. So um, I, I'm I'm looking forward to to sort of diving into that deeper and understanding exactly how it's going to go. But it, it, it certainly does put more more on our plate. But um, again, it's um, you know that's my that's my job out there. I'm uh, um, you know the office you know sends down how they want this to to go and we'll go out and, and, and do it well. I have no doubt, but it's going to be, it's going to be a, an adjustment for everybody. I mean, umpires, players, coaches, it's going to be a, um, it's going to be something uh, like we haven't obviously seen, but I, I think at the end of the day, we'll all, we'll all make the adjustment probably, you know, there'll be some bumps early um, in the rollout, just everybody get kind of used to it. But, you know, as I've heard from guys in, in the minor leagues, it was no different there, you know, a little bumpy early, but once everybody figured it out, then, you know, it rarely kind of, you know, came to be much of an issue. So I, I'm not suspecting it to be any different up here. Yeah, well, I expect to be yelling at my TV every time I see somebody try to violate the shift. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, Maybe we'll get a whistle. I can give like an illegal shift or, or an illegal defense motion or something. Yeah, just, let me, just let me out there. I'll make sure they don't do that. There's no way I'm letting the shortstop go to the right side of the bag. <laughs> yeah, you, you just know. We, we talked to some former players, and some of the players said, said you know, Jeff, you think this shift thing's going to go away. They're just going to get a running start and time it. And it's, 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 it's going to be like college football where they're well, – they, Well, if we know anything about rules, there's always – the rules are – you know, people are always figuring out where to, like, go just right up to the line, right? So it'll be – you know, there's always – uh, there's always some loopholes here and there that people try to figure out. So that'll be part of the equation too, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, Chris, one of the other reasons that we wanted to have you on is is you, the work that we we were lucky enough to, to observe you doing in the community with youth last year. And that program is now expanding. And in fact, we've been in, in talks with the Pedro Gomez Foundation uh, mm-hmm. out in Arizona. And apparently the work that you're doing here is expanding out there. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you've been doing here and, mm-hmm. and the involvement with, with expanding that pro- program and working with the, the Pedro Gomez Foundation. Yep, thank you. Um, so the, the official leadership program is part of uh, Ump's Care Charities. And 
we run a number of, of initiatives. Um, we do, uh, we host kids at the ballpark during the season. We do build a bear workshops at hospitals. Uh, and we have a, a scholarship uh, program, a college scholarship program uh, for kids that are adopted later in life. Within the last couple of years, we also added the official leadership program, which is, I think we all know, it's no big secret that there's a significant shortage of officials at the, at the youth level, uh, you know, the, just in terms of numbers and obviously people not wanting to do it because, you know, let's face it, that some of those climates are, um, shall we say, been difficult towards amateur officials. So at Upscare and through the official leadership program, we've tried to um, initiate the program that gets young people interested in becoming umpires. Um, and more than just, okay, let's get together for a few weeks and talk about, you know, safe and out, ball and strike, fair foul, although that's a part of it. Um, the other part more is, is mentoring these kids and teaching them the leadership skills, um, the personal responsibility skills, uh, pairing them off with, with mentors that can help them, inspire them, um, be a resource for them when, should they choose to pursue the career, they're going to find there's going to be difficulties along the way, whether it's, you know, a tough, a tough day on the job, they don't feel good about it. Some parent was on them pretty good in the stands, whatever it's, we want resources for these kids to get involved in it and to stick with it. Um, I think last year in Philly was the first year they ran it there. They're getting ready to run the second one. Now, I think it was very successful. I went down one night, um, last winter, I'm getting scheduled to go down there for another night, um, in a few weeks and about 18 or 20 kids at that program. I believe a few have gone on to really kind of catch the bug, if you will, and have gotten involved in, you know, both baseball and softball umpiring. Um, and then, as you mentioned, um, the Pedro Gomez Foundation generously made a donation so that we could uh, run the same program out in, out in Phoenix. And um, I personally, I've met Pedro on several occasions. I, I can't say as I knew him well, but I know many guys who did know him well, and I can think of no higher compliment for an umpire to pay a member probably of the media than to say he was a friend of umpires. And we, and, we, we were lucky enough to and, have him on a few times and, too. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and he, he, was, he was just, um, he was just a, 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 a beautiful human being. Uh, so many guys on our staff just adored him gone way too soon. Um, but, um, he was, he was, you know, he had, you know, walk-in privileges to an umpire dressing room at just about any ballpark. And when he came in, it wasn't a, you know, a super visual conversation. It wasn't kind of an arm's length. Um, everybody on their guard a little bit, like he would walk in and it'd be like, you know, he'd be like, fellas, what's up? And, you know, he gets the, you know, same kind of response and the hugs and handshakes and, and he just, he, he was, a, he, he was um, you know, like I said, a, a, a friend to us and a friend to, to Umscare especially. He emceed the, the huge golf event that takes place every January out in Arizona. Um, just a, um, just a, a, good, a good man. And this foundation um, is, uh, you know, made the donation so that we can run this leadership program out in Arizona and keep kind of spreading it out. It's, it's taken place in a, in a number of different locations, and we just want to keep keep spreading it out that this is a, you know, that officiating, that umpiring is a, is a, is a way to, to stay involved in the game 
Um, as a teenager, it's a, it's a way to, you know, put a little extra money in your pocket, which that's part of the program as well. We teach kids and talk to kids about how to handle their money. Like you're going to, you know, some of these kids will go and they'll maybe work a few games on a weekend and all of a sudden you're 14 years old and you got a couple hundred bucks cash in your pocket. Okay. Now, you know, what, what, what am I going to do with that? How am I going to handle this responsibly? That is part of this as well. So it's a great program. Um, we're so thankful to the foundation to, to make the donation so we can expand it and keep it moving forward and uh, appreciate you guys as well for continuing to shine a light on it. Cause it's a great cause. You know, the work that you were doing, we were that we were lucky enough to watch you observe you do it last year. And, and it fascinated me, not just that teenagers are so interested in your craft, but how much they yep. knew about you. Oh right? yeah. Like, yeah. like that That's was fascinating. Well. Like, like yep. you, you said, do you have any questions? And they had like questions yep. about your background and things yep. that had happened during games. Yep. I, I, I noticed it's funny you bring that up. Cause I, I remarked that to, um, uh, one of the, the people from Upscare, Amy, Amy Rosewater. Um, I said, I, I was blown away by how, how much these kids knew about just, I mean, not just umpire, but me specifically, what I had been involved in, you know, different things. I, different situations I mentioned, different things I was involved in. Like I'm looking at these kids and, you know, sometimes you might expect them to have a little bit of a glassed over look like this isn't really registering, but like I'm looking at kids and they're like nodding their head, like, you know, a couple of kids. Yeah, I remember that. And I'm like, like what? <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it wasn't even something necessarily that involved the Phillies, which I could understand. It was just other things. So their interest level really blew me away. It was fantastic. And it wasn't just about your own career in history. It, it, it was fascinating to me that sort of the life advice that you guys were giving out yep. as well before you yep. then went down into the cages to yep. show them the mechanics of doing it. What's it like yep. for you to get one-on-one with these kids that, that just want to be where you are? That's the, I mean, that's the best part. Um, you know, I, I've, you know, all my life going back even to, to high school through college, even my first couple of jobs out of college before I became an umpire were really involved in, um, you know, working with kids, working with young people. And it's just always been something that's just been near and dear to my heart and incredibly important. Um, Cause I just don't think there are many things more important out there than having a positive impact on the life of a young person. Um, so to, to, to work with these kids, to, um, to get to, you know, one-on-one or even in a group to, to talk to them about, you know, my path, about, you know, what it took for me to get where I wanted to go, to, to follow my dream, to pursue it, um, to try to pass that along to them. It doesn't even actually have to be about umpiring. You know, I mean, we're in the, you know, some may never go on an umpire may want to have no interest in umpiring. That's okay. But, you know, the important thing is like have something that you're passionate about and then go after it. And it's the, it's the going after it part. That's almost the most important, whether you make it is like just great. It's the cherry on top, but having the guts to just to head down some path where you really like, I don't know where this is headed. I don't really know how this is going to go, but I'm going for it. Like that's, that's living your life. And that's what I try to pass along to those kids. And it's just, um, it's just super rewarding. I did want to ask you one more before we let you go. This week uh, in football, we saw a pretty scary emergency situation on the uh, field. Yes. Um, is that something that you guys are going to be talking about and preparing, that umps prepare for as well as the emergency officials? And, and is there a playbook for how to handle a situation like that? Yeah. Um, God, wasn't that just about the worst thing ever? Um, 
and so glad to hear that things are trending in the right direction, it seems. So that's, that's yeah. wonderful news too. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't say there is a playbook really for something that severe Now we've all, you know, we've all seen, you know, we see injuries all the time and injuries, frankly, that are pretty bad. You know, you see, watch football, you see guys, you know, on a, on a backboard, immobilized, taken out on an ambulance and, you know, the kind of the game goes on. You've seen pitcher take a line drive to the head. Obviously there's, you know, medical personnel out of it, but then kind of the, the game goes on. I can remember, what was it, years ago, who was the goalie? Like, wasn't it Clint Malarchuk that had his, like, jugular vein sliced in a hockey game or something years ago? And he goes racing off the ice and they tend to him, but the game goes on. I mean, but something like this, I mean, again, there's no playbook, but I can't, I can't imagine it would probably play out any differently than the way it did Monday night um, to expect, you know, those guys to, to head back out there after seeing something like that unfold to their teammate. Um, you know, I've tried to think back on anything remotely comparable. And I, I actually, this afternoon, I just remembered the, I was thinking about um, ironically in, in Cincinnati opening day 95 when uh, John McSherry had a heart attack and, and died on the field opening day. Um, and I believe they, they did postpone that game and picked it up the next day. Um, but, it, you know, I, it's, you know, there's, there'd be a lot of, there'd be, that'd be a decision that would be, that would be a decision made that's way above, um, you know, the umpires on the field. That would be obviously a, a, like it probably was Monday night, a collaborative effort between the organizations and the league office uh, for something that rose to that level. Um, and it just would be like, look, we're, we're just here to whatever you, however you guys want to play this out. We're just, we're just here to help and, and try to make this go as smoothly as we can. But it's, it was, I mean, I was watching it Monday night and it was, that was horrendous and just glad to hear the good news keeps coming out a little more every day since then. Yeah. You know, Chris, uh, it's a new year. We're, we're so glad that you're one of our first guests and, and the work that you have done with Humps, Humps Care and the work that the Umpires Association does is so important. And we want to make sure that people continue to to give to those causes and understand that, that umpires are giving back to their communities and using their platforms. We really thank you for your time. No, I, I, I thank you guys. Like I said, I appreciate your, your willingness to have me and to, and to, to shine a light on this charity and, and put some focus on it and really appreciate it. And uh, happy new year to you guys and your families. All right. We still have to work on getting you your world series ring in a ceremony. So maybe we can get that when you're here in Philly next year. We didn't forget about that. Look, we'll we'll come up with a ceremony now that you have it. We did not forget about that here on the show, so we're we're all good. Impressive memory, I like it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Chris. You have a great one. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Thank Bye-bye. you, Jeff. You like how I'm inviting myself in on the oh, ring oh, presentation yeah, you, again? You, you want to be? You actually want to be the ring bearer, don't uh, yeah, you? Want to hold the world series? You just ring. missed out as a little kid. You wanted to be the ring bearer, and here's your chance. You don't think I'm saying it just because I want Chris to feel special and get his I own think ring you presentation? Want, I think you want to put a world series ring on your. Face. You think I want to put a ring on? Just for five seconds. I think you want. We'll see if my wife's okay with me giving somebody else a ring. <laughs> yeah, it, Wait, it, he, no, no. You're not giving him a ring. I'm just presenting you're, you're him his presenting ring. him with something that the, he's already given. But before we go on to anything else, and I still want to go back to what happened uh, w- with the Buffalo Bills this week uh, and how they dealt with it and how impressive that is, I do want to t- just talk for a, a minute about Pedro Gomez because one of the, the impetus for having Chris on and talking to the umpires is that the Pedro Gomez Foundation uh, is working to expand the program that we got to observe in person last year. And the Pedro Gomez Foundation, for people that, that don't know, um, 
Pedro was an amazing commentator for for ESPN for so long, and he handled his craft in a way you don't see people do. I mean, I remember like the first time we met him. Like that's for training. Yeah, and he doesn't just talk baseball, but he'll talk about his kids and your kids. And oh, he was so his, proud of his son in the Red Sox organization. That's right, and 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 not only that, the the guys that his son grew up with, including Scott Kingery, Scott which is how we got information regarding some of the the Phillies prospects who had played with his son in Arizona. But but Pedro was such a good guy and continued to be somebody that was a friend to the show and just a friend and. His his family is now carrying on. He left us too soon, and his fam- family is carrying on his legacy through something called Pedro Palooza. This year, it's going to be on January 28th at the Deuce in um, Arizona, and he's working with uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, Arizona University of Arizona Baseball, the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism, and obviously... Someplace um, I was not invited to attend. <laughs> <laughs> and, and obviously, Ump's Care Charities, and... Uh, if you get a chance, go to www.pedrogomezfoundation.com. Give, go. There are actually going to be tickets. You can go to this event uh, out in Arizona if you're there. And, uh, you know, just consider the work that they're doing. I'm disappointed you didn't get me a plane ticket already. And Bob Lee is going to be the master of ceremony. See, we definitely need to go now. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's, it, it, look, Pedro. My favorite part, by the way, yeah. it just as an aside, their musical guest, yes. the name of the band is the Utility Players. <laughs> <laughs> of course you would like that. Um, you know, it, it's hard. You go from unserious questions with him to we go to serious questions. Then we make unserious comments. Then we have serious things. We're going to stick with the serious here for a minute. Uh, sure. I, we, we mentioned with him about is there a protocol for umps or officials. That's one of the scariest things I've ever seen this week, Jeff. And I'm glad that as we come on the air today... I'm seeing stories about him FaceTiming with friends and with the Bills team. and Mm -hmm. um, Because that was not what it looked like on Monday night. Um, From a lot of angles, there there was all different. I I always focus on the media coverage of how they handled it. I thought they handled it very well. They did not sensationalize. I would disagree. Well, it depends on what some did. It depends on which station you were listening to or watching. There seemed to be an agenda for half a day the day after about how the union should make sure that this protects players in the next collective bargaining agreement. And while I agree, I mean, look, we've been working with Gridiron Greats for how many years now? Which is that those players, the older players, were not taken care of regarding all of their health situations. So obviously we're big supporters of that. I just didn't think that was the time to do. Uh, you know, I, I think that the, the time was to focus on the person that was going through this and the family and the teammates and the organizations. And that's it. You know, sometimes agendas don't I thought the need majority to be of the focus was on that though. I agree. I just I just say that there there just seemed to be one station that just seemed to be show after show after show was focusing on this. Yeah, I, I did think that um, Ryan Clark and Scott Van Pelt right after the game were very good. Well, you know, we've, we've talked about Ryan. I'd love to have him on the show. Yeah. We've talked the about way Ryan that he Clark. he humanized. Yeah. And, and he talked about well, the he's story gone with through Mike it. Tomlin and his own situation about playing. He's talked about that with concussions as well when it comes to Tua. But I found the way that they were able to humanize the conversation and make it not about a game but about a life, mm-hmm. um, I, I found very very good in terms of the way that that was handled. Uh, yeah, I think that, and, and you know, people don't realize those, we've been so critical, not us, but just in general, the media of the way that 
concussions have been handled in certain situations. We forget that there's a whole bunch of professionals that are on those sidelines that if you go read about everything that happened from the moment that he fell down. They were ready. They were. That's my point. They were that on it. Everybody, I, I, I can't remember. I wish I could remember his name. Is it Ellinger? I can't remember the, the gentleman's name who actually performed CPR. Yeah, I don't know his name. As a trainer. Yeah. And, and assistant trainer. I, think, I so. saw the interview with two of the, the doctors at University of Cincinnati Medical Center. And to hear how it all happened, it was all planned. And because they practiced it, that, that's why he's still alive right now. And, and those people should not be forgotten in all this. Every single one of them. There's so many people that are involved in an organization that we are very quick to criticize the NFL for a lot of reasons that they deserve criticism. In this regard, they handled it right. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was, um, I thought it was well done. Uh, obviously, now that you are days removed from it, with news that he is doing a little bit better. Now you have people kind of griping about the decisions that were made with the scheduling after the fact in the NFL. What, what do they want people to do? Okay, we, we talk all the time about, well, I complain more than anybody about Thursday night football, right? Yes, yeah. and, par- and part of the reason besides the games usually suck is the other reason <laughs> is be- is because it's not safe for the players. Glad you didn't lose that attitude. In, yes, in but it is... You know, the, the game of football is is a, a, a game of impact and collision. You know, we've had doctors, neurologists on to talk about that, and the recovery time is so important. And for some reason, we have to have games not only on Monday, but we have to have them on, on we have them Sunday, Monday, now Thursday, and, and it doesn't give them time to recover. And I, I've long argued that's part of the concussion problem is not allowing people to recover from those. To suggest that a game that was stopped on a Monday night somehow, like the first thing they were saying the next day is we don't know if the game will be made up later in the week. How are they going to do that? They had another game this Sunday. So how are they going to make that up and then say with a straight face, we're protecting the interest of the players. We're protecting their safety. There was no way from the moment that they postponed that game, that game could ever be made up because the playoffs start the next week. So how were they going to do it? It was so disingenuous for anybody to think that that game was ever going to happen. The The solutions to it that they're considering now, if people want to debate well, that. That they, that they adopted today. So scenario, Well, no, the, I thought the owners have to still vote on they it. They did today. Oh, okay. So it passed with 25 votes. It needed 24. So there were some I guess the Bengals weren't Cincinnati one Cincinnati was very opposed to it. So... Basically, if the Ravens beat the Bengals on Sunday, their potential wildcard game location will be determined by a coin toss. But if the Ravens and Chargers win Sunday, the Ravens are the sixth seed and a coin flip for the first round. But if the Ravens win and Chargers lose Sunday, the, Ra- the Ravens are a five seed and can have a first round home playoff game. So there's all these little quirks, but the, yeah, the, lar- the larger news is the scenario is around a neutral location game for the AFC championship which potentially would happen if KC or Buffalo ended up in there. There's three scenarios. So you lose that home field advantage and you end up with a neutral game field for the AFC. It doesn't really impact the NFC in terms so of their So the playoff. AFC championship could technically be played on a neutral site? If Buffalo and Kansas City win, both win and both tie, then a Buffalo-KC championship game would be at a neutral site. If the Bills and Chiefs both lose in Week 18 and Baltimore wins or ties with the Bengals, then Buffalo-KC would be at a neutral site. If Buffalo and Kansas City you've both lost, lose and Cincinnati lost wins, everybody was then listening. it'll be at a neutral site. There's three <laughs> scenarios by which 
the championship game would have to be between the Bengals mm-hmm. or between uh, Buffalo and the Chiefs. Actually, no. It, 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 the Bengals can be involved too where it ends up that they play at a neutral site. I have, I have long been told that I can be long-winded in certain things. Your answer should have just been yes. It could be in a neutral site because... I, so I you're can, saying I should cut that back out on the replay? And no, like, no, because it's not just you. It's leave, like leave it in. how many times have you gone through playoff scenarios when you're reading on a piece of paper and you have to read it like 10 so, times? So here's the deal. I like, put it in the, the prep doc <laughs> and I, I didn't think I would have such a hard time reading it. And then once I like dove in, I didn't feel like I could back out. So I just kept plowing through and it didn't go well. It's not, <laughs> so, it's not you. It's, so. it's, it's the whole scenario. Yeah. It, it's ridiculous. Either way, the Eagles scenario is they need to win this weekend because they have lost two in a row. Well, congratulations. If if the Eagles lose this to game, the backup Giants, they deserve not even to be in the playoffs. The Giants are not the Giants have nothing to gain or lose by by not even showing up for this game. Like they should just not even come down on the bus and save everybody the tra- traffic that's going to be in the The city. irony, by the way, is the outrage that Giants fans had when the Eagles sat Jalen Hurts years ago and it impacted the draft pick. Years now, ago? Yeah, two years ago. Oh. In the, in, the ga- in the last game of the season, and they ended up with a better draft pick, and the Giants were unhappy about that. Yeah. Either way, um, my biggest concern is the injuries. Um, Jalen Hurts apparently will come back and potentially play this week. My hope is they go up big early and then can sit him down. Uh, Lane Johnson will need surgery. Uh, he will not have it before the yeah, playoffs. Yeah, he's going to try to play in the he's playoffs. Tr- but he will need surgery, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, he's, you know, I get it. I stub my toe, and I, I don't he, wake look, up to come in and do the radio show with you. So The, the, the reason to, if you're not an Eagles fan, but you hate the Cowboys, you want the Eagles to win because you want the Cowboys to be a wild card. And then I think the, and then I, I think they would go to Tampa to, Bay for Monday night, I think, because yeah. that's the marquee matchup. Again, another scenario that I would argue affects the safety of the players, playoffs, the players. There's no reason to have a Monday night playoff game. No, they could have gone with Saturday, Sunday, and mm-hmm. then decide. But they, there is reason, money. Um, I would like to point out that I, since I have been following it all season, I'd like to thank the Eagles for screwing with the Saints draft pick watch. Um, that did not work out after the Eagles lost to the Saints last week. So now they're down to the eleventh pick in the draft as the Saints are seven and I, nine. I do have to say that what, when I saw that score, I did laugh because I because you have so diligently followed. The I Saints expected a text entire, No, I'm not one of those guys that's going to rub it in when your team loses. But it, but to sit we know there, some of those who apparently have been texting you about. Yeah, your yeah we team. can we can get to, we can get to that when we get to college football. <laughs> Thank you very much. But 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 I, 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 this whole thing that you have been following all year diligently, week after week, about where the Saint, with the Saints winning or losing, not totally because you care up. about the Saints in any way, shape, nope, or form. Couldn't care. You care about their draft pick. Absolutely. And, and the only thing that could make this worse was the fact that the Eagles <laughs> lost yes. to the Saints, and they did it in a in a game that, by the way, had they won that game. They, you wouldn't have these problems this week. Yes. Jalen Hurts would be able to sit for another two weeks yes. because you'd have the bye. Yes. And I'm the, well aware. The Saints have screwed the Eagles in so many different ways. I'm well aware. And I, <laughs> I actually expected a message from you to remind me that that had happened because I have 
brought it up so much but, on the show. And but you were, why? I have a radio show that I can <laughs> do just, it on. See, that's the thing. I will just drop it on you in the moment. You will yep. save it for the next week till we're on the yes, air I just do. to use it then. I'm a patient person sometimes. Well, speaking of patience, let's hit the break, and I will um, talk about how your New Year's Eve was ruined by your football team when we get back. <laughs> Stick with us. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Jeff, I, I did not contact you on New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I knew you were looking forward to the evening and uh, your football team was playing and, and it did not go very well f- for your football team. Uh, would you like to talk about what happened and not how you were? Not particularly, but since we're on the radio and you want me to talk about Silence it. Silence would be bad uh, at this well, moment uh, on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm sure there's a lot of people that say, please, Jeff, just be quiet. Yeah, they don't really care um, about Michigan. But I'm curious as to, because there's levels of frustration that you look, have. Here. I will tell you, look, I could have gone to that game. And, yeah. and when people ask me why I didn't go to that game, one of the reasons I didn't go to the game is because I know how this ends. <laughs> I was there last year. I saw how this and I, it is, it's so hard, especially college football. College football, I think people are more invested than any other sport. And it, you just know Harbaugh. I mean, look, I think everybody knows my feelings on Harbaugh for so many different reasons. But Do they know that I'm not allowed to text you anymore about him? Yes. You're, well, I, nobody knows that, but I, di- I did send you a text that said, please do not send me anything more about <laughs> That's Harbaugh. That's the level we've reached with this. Right. I can't even talk to it's, you about potential show it, topics. Because of, the, because of the absurdity of him. Harbaugh thinks he's the smartest person in the building all the time. So here's what he did. You are fourth and goal at the beginning of the game. You have a running back who torched Ohio State and then torched Purdue in the Big Ten championship game. Had 400 plus yards, I think, in two games. And you are now on the goal line, and Harbaugh decides to bring in a linebacker to run the ball. And, okay, I'm sure he's practiced getting it. It's, you're in the college football playoff semifinal. You are not used to handoffs in high-pressure situations. And what happens? Handoff gets flubbed, ball gets fumbled, no points. They have the ball again. They're down by the goal line. What does he try? A trick play. Again, no points. Harbaugh thinks he's smarter than everybody else. This is a guy who talks about brags about smash mouth football. What is he doing? That's Harbaugh. Well, now and, and, apparently he's talking to Carolina and other places. But no, he says he's coming back to Michigan well, again. Well, last year, <laughs> he decided that he was going to be in Minnesota interviewing for a job on National Signing Day. Okay? If, you, if there was anything that was more selfish than that, let me know. And he came back with its tail between his legs because a guy who was about 12 years old got the job instead of him. <laughs> he never got the offer. And then he was forced to come out and say, I'm not going to do that again. I'm at Michigan as long as they want me. Blah, you blah, blah, me blah, blah, blah. Yep. And then he did it again in December when somebody asked him. And what happens? The second he loses, you find out that he's already talked to the Panthers. The, the Colts are interested in him. The Broncos are doing research on him. Somebody comes out and says that if Harbaugh gets an offer, he's as good as gone, which you know is probably somebody in his camp that's leaking that because otherwise he won't get an offer. And, and then he is forced today to come out with a statement. And when 
that statement was sent to me, I blew a gasket. <laughs> because I only wish be, that was sent to you while we were on the be, air. Because in it, it said, I fully expect. I, okay, and, I, and as I'm soon going, as I saw are that. You, can, you can't say I'm going to be there. Jeff, you know I've written enough statements for politicians yeah. where you caveat things. I That jumped out at me instantly. That In your clarification statement, you can't still unequivocally say that you will be there. Unless you're Harbaugh. Yes. Unless you're Harbaugh. But I do want to clarify. So, so let's go back to New Year's Eve. I will tell you, it did not ruin my New Year's Eve. But however, I was asked whether or not I wanted to watch the Ohio State game. There would have been nothing worse from a college football standpoint as a Michigan grad than watching Ohio State potentially win right after Michigan <laughs> loses. That would be like next week in the playoffs for you if the Dallas Eagles lost the Eagles and then the Cowboys game was on the, the next game. You would wouldn't. you sit there and watch that game? No, nah, I'd be in mourning. Well, actually, to be fair, you uh, would. I probably would. Because there's nothing you won't watch. <laughs> well, the funny you thing would. is you I, help I wanted to send you – the clip of the Ohio State field goal being missed, which, by the way, you want to talk about television timing. Yeah. That kick was kicked in 2022 and missed in 2023 in terms of the way the ball dropped and the timing for the end of that game. I didn't know that until you told me and to, I know, earlier. And you didn't even, like, care or know that Ohio State— No, I didn't State, want to know. I like, did not want to know. You had no idea mm-hmm. of how it ended. You were nope. so surprised that it happened that way. Well, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever that it happened right at that moment. Nope. And you're like, I had no idea. Didn't find out till the next morning. <laughs> I, I did not I did not want to risk that there was any chance that Ohio State won that game and I had to hear it. You talk about how much people are invested. Uh, average ticket price as of Wednesday for the championship game is $1,427. Um, for the least expensive tickets, it's like three fifty to 400 but if Jeff, if um, Michigan was there and you wanted the VIP or suite experience, mm-hmm. it's two hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars for the tickets. No, I would have got it for free. Yeah, you, you know people clearly. <laughs> um, your thoughts on the college football postseason? Other than I will join you on the lawn, complaining about not the Sugar joking. Bowl should not be played at noon on New Year's Eve. And the Rose Bowl should not be played on January second. Yeah. Um. I, but other than that, there were some really entertaining bowl games. They may, but who watched them other than you? Apparently, the ratings were really good. Actually, really. Yes. So you're telling me the pool and weed whacker or whatever bowl? <laughs> I don't think they have that anymore. I didn't to be get fair, the ratings but, for each of the games, yeah. but I, I mean, I, from what I had seen, the ratings were actually up overall. Like the Bahamas before. Bowl ratings yes. were big. People, Jeff, I still don't understand why there's a stadium to play football in the Bahamas because. They can bring revenue there to have football games be played there. The same reason they set up a basketball gym in a hotel sometimes. Wait, wait, they the, don't set up anything. That's literally in a ballroom. Yes. It like you, the, the ball can hit the ceiling. Um, I, I did want to ask you uh, your concern level over the violations potentially facing Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. Any thoughts? No. No. I, 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 it's Jim Harbaugh. He thinks he's smarter than everybody else. I did want to point out um, some gambling and college football news. The, of the, course you do. The Pac-12 is looking at releasing injury reports and I don't understand. selling like, the data for use in sports betting. So wh- I don't know how the, the – wait. The whole argument in college sports for not releasing injury report data is the, is the protection of players' private information. Yes. So all of a sudden that no longer applies if you can make money off of it? I, I that is good why, luck with that. That is why I, wanna, I decided to bring it up to you. I don't know here. how they're going to do that. The, here's here's how I think that would have to happen. You would literally have to allow 
college athletes, student athletes, to unionize, then collectively bargain that they would allow that information to go if they were to get compensated for the release of that information. That's the only way I see this happening after they've already taken. So if I'm representing college student athletes, the second they did that, I would be in court and I would be arguing that you have said in the past, you, the NCAA and all of the universities, that their information is to be protected and that's not why it's released. And there is no way that you can now release that information without their consent or paying. So it's interesting you say that because there are two court, Thank you. There are two court <laughs> cases or two things to watch this year that are looking to define certain college athletes as employees. Um, there's a court case for the Third Circuit that's going to hear oral arguments, Johnson versus NCA, over whether athletes should be considered employees under the Federal Labor Standards Act. And the NLRB is going to prosecute a case against USC, the Pac-12, and the NCAA, saying the three as joint employers misclassified their FBS football and basketball players as amateurs. So you're going to see that can, that tug come continue to come to a head as this year goes on mm-hmm. as they try to make more money through name, image, and likeness and selling data as to what these athletes are. And I think that amateur status has to be a risk. I- I don't, it doesn't matter, but see, for what, what we're talking about, I don't think it matters whether they're an, amateurs or professionals. They've, this, they've already taken a position that the information can't be released because they need to protect. They're still college students, regardless of what they're categorized as, as far as when they play their sport, they're still students at that university. And as somebody who has a kid at a university, uh, at orientation, one of the first things they tell the parents is that these students have rights to protect their information and they have privacy even from their parents. So I don't know how you're going to just release that information. Well, it's just not going to happen. The Pac-12 president will have more to look into for that. Jeff, good, we've got, good luck. A, got about seven minutes left. Um, let's, I have, let's talk about uh, the— I have the, to ask you about the chaos with yeah. the U.S. men's national team. Uh, we, we asked during the World Cup why Gio Reyna wasn't playing. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there's more to the story, Jeff. Um, you know, it's been a long time since we got to talk about about overzealous athlete parents. Helicopter parents. This might be the topper. So we have a situation where Gio Reyna doesn't play a lot, but Gio Reyna's parents are very close with Greg Bohart, Bohart, Berhalter, Berhalter. Uh, who is the coach of the U.S. men's national team, and the, the spouses are also good friends. They've known each other since college. Apparently there was an incident 32 years ago where something happened. Between and, Greg Berhalter and his and now his, wife. Right, at the time at the it was time, not his, his wife, his girlfriend. And somehow the Reynas allegedly have held this information for 32 years, and then when their kid didn't get enough playing time, they decided to use the information. If you, We should not mess with domestic violence for one second. But if they thought that there was a domestic violence incident, then either you tell people about it or you don't. You don't sit there and say, I'm going to use it to the benefit of my child so he can play more. And it, they didn't even... Okay, so apparently the timeline is Gio's father, Claudio, talked to people at U.S. Soccer during the World Cup, explaining his unhappiness, allegedly. Now, in fairness, 
he's friends with many of them because he played with them. Hold so on. How old is Gio Reyna? Gio is an adult. How old? Uh, I Approximately. Can, I about, can, about 20 years old. Yes. Right? Okay. It, it's, at that point, your parents should not be talking to anybody about yeah, playing he's 20 time. 20 years old. At that point, it's time. You want to go cheer as loudly as possible, you go ahead and do it. At 20 years old, your parents, I don't care who they are, should have absolutely no say with a general manager, a person running an organization, or a coach about playing time. If you think your playing time isn't good enough, you go talk to the coach or you work harder. That's what you do. So the World Cup ended, and apparently Burhalter did an event on December 11th and spoke about the Gio Reyna situation without mentioning him by name. And Mm -hmm. it was supposed to be in an off-the-record conversation, which I always used to tell my candidates. I know, there is no off-the-record. It was released inadvertently to the public. And after that is apparently when Gio's mom sent the letter to Ernie Stewart or or told Ernie Stewart about it. And then Berhalter apparently set up a Twitter account where he, like, released information. He did put a statement out before the the news broke in the story. Apparently, Berhalter was pretty close to signing a new contract Mm -hmm. at that time. And now those conversations have been on hold as a law firm looks into the situation. What a mess. <laughs> is, is there any chance that Gio Reyna is on the next U.S. men's national team? Not if Greg Berhalter is there. No, if he's not there. I don't Look, if he's a really good soccer player, I don't see why he should be uh, penalized wait, wait, because wait. of his parents. Did you hear anybody on you on the men's team stand up for Gio Reyna during when the, the stories were— No, apparently were... They, he apologized to the team for his lack of effort. Exactly. Yeah, apparently so, the reason he wasn't playing, there were, like, issues there— now, whether or not... Nobody's denied those issues. <clears throat> no, and whether or not, like, his apology, he should have played after it because of his skill level and they needed him is a different story and whether a coach is teaching a lesson. But when the parents get involved, you've worked in youth sports leagues with helicopter parents before. I mean, this has taken it to a new level. I, I just... I don't know how you recover from something like that. Look, we all get a chance to redeem ourselves these days a lot faster than we probably should. But in a situation like this, this was a situation where I know you think maybe he should have played more because of his skill level. If you're not trying, it doesn't matter what your skill level was. And that's the situation here. If you were put in a position that when it, when it came out during the World Cup that the reason he wasn't playing was supposedly because of effort issues, nobody came to his defense that I recall. Maybe they did. I don't remember it. But if you, he then supposedly then apologized to his teammates then there must have been some truth to it at that point. And if that's the case, you got a long road to recover from. And if instead of accepting, if you're going to apologize to somebody, it means that you better sincerely mean it and do something after. You don't just say, I'm sorry, and that's it. You don't do it in life. You do more than that. And it has to be your actions. And in his case, the actions afterwards were to have mommy and daddy get involved. Well, and, and look, if you're it's a teammate, not just any, how are you going to react? Just, it's not just any mommy and daddy. Claudio Reyna is the general manager of Austin FC. He's the general manager of an MLS Cup team. Yeah. And? So, yeah, they all might be friends, but it's not just some dumb whoever making a comment or an allegation. I mean, he has a position and standing in the soccer world that he's doing this. I, I don't see how he goes back there without any issues with some of the people who are on his staff there who are Burhalter guys. And this is terrible for U.S. soccer. I'm I'm not a I was not a 
I didn't know a lot about soccer other than what my friends would tell me when I was younger. Uh, and I actually was lucky enough to see Pele play. But with regard to Claudio Reyna, for this generation, for those of us that didn't follow soccer during his era, this is what he's now going to be known as. Like, he he tarnished his own legacy by doing this. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, he had his own men's national team but it, legacy. But it doesn't matter. Nobody, no, uh, now everybody knows this. So I don't, I don't know what they gained from this. And by the way, they can't argue that they, they were in some way doing it to protect the spouse. It was 32 years ago. That's going to be your last thought for this week, Jeff. Welcome to 2023. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.